to sing with the youth, to hear their voices. And it truly is a joy. And I love that we just sang joy to the world. Joy to, as far as the curse is found, that song says, God's joy is dawning upon this earth. Joy to the world. Well, if you come to our candlelight service this evening, you'll get to hear the youth choir again. You know, being that it's Christmas Eve, I know it's very traditional to talk about, think about shepherds and wise men and mangers and all of these things that are very good, very appropriate Christmas elements. But as good as those ancient elements are, those old considerations, we're going to go today back to a time that's even more ancient, more than 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So I want you to open up in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible today, then there's one in the uh, chair beneath you, or in front of you, rather. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take this Bible home and, and make it your own. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 16. Daryl Skyber is going to read this for us. And this passage comes just after God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And after rescuing them, he sends them a series of gifts of grace, these miraculous provisions. He sends these to his chosen people. So follow along in Exodus 16 as Daryl reads for us. Good morning. Exodus 16, it's on page 68 in the hymn Bible, hymn pew Bible. Bread from heaven, Exodus 16. So they set out from Elam, and all the congregation and the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation... And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you should grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. 
Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine lake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall eat, each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, each gathered, much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today. For today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like a coriander seed, white to the taste. It was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer to be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I have fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna for forty years, till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is a tenth of a part of Ephah. Thank you, Daryl. That took some endurance to read in front of all of us. Let's pray. We thank you for your word, as we do every week, because your word is our food. And that we would feast upon it today, that you would 
that you would fill us and we would be sustained. God, use your word to nourish our souls this morning, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of, the, the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. That's exactly one month after that very first Passover. On that first Passover, as Israel was preparing to flee Egypt, God had readied the people to travel fast, light, they're going to go far. So in other words, they were going to be on the run and they were not traveling with weeks and weeks worth of provisions. So a month had passed and the people of Israel had followed God into the middle of a desolate nowhere. They're they're in nowhere land and they've run out of provisions and there's no possible way for them to feed themselves anymore. Some 1.2 million people we're talking about. We're now looking down the barrel of death by starvation. So I imagine that if I were in their ranks, we were in their ranks, we would be grumbling too. They really come all this way to just die in the desert? I think their grumblings are quite understandable, very human, considering their situation. Listen to their grumblings again in verse 2, you see that. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You just hear the scathing sarcasm in their grumblings. It's understandable I mean, they're there with their families, starving. And yet their words betray some major heart issues. First, they don't believe. Right? They, God had brought them into the wilderness and had, had given them freedom, victory over the Egyptians. God had given them clean water. He had split the ocean, the Red Sea, so they could walk through on dry ground. He had done these amazing things all within the span of a month. But now that they are hungry, they don't turn to God and seek for help. Instead, anxiety fills their hearts and complaints fill their mouths. And and they they cannot believe in this God, even this God who splits the ocean. I think it was so hard for them to really believe that God was for them. The second thing that the grumblings betray is that these people are unrepentant, right? They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to their pagan overlords of oppression and the chains that they had there, ready to go back if it just means that they could fill their bellies. Choice of temporary relief over relationship with the Almighty God. You know, repentance is is turning away from your former self. It's forsaking those old ways, those old slave masters, and turning to something better, something greater, something that's free and satisfying. It's turning to God. You're no longer giving your loyalty to those who kept you in bondage, but now giving your loyalty 
to God. And Israel's grumbling betrays their unrepentance. They did not believe, and they were unrepentant. So how good it is that God is abundantly patient and exceedingly gracious with his people. I love that immediately following their grumblings, their faithless grumblings, like immediately. God, God says these words in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. So even while Israel is faithless, God is faithful, and he's promising his gracious provisions, bread that comes down from heaven. What does that even mean, bread that comes down from heaven? God was going to give something that, that Israel couldn't even have imagined. In fact, it's one of the reasons that he took them all the way into the wilderness and let them feel these hunger pangs. He wanted them to, wanted them to see this bread that comes from heaven. So there's this twofold purpose to God's provision. First, and, and yes, it is to feed and sustain his people, to fill their bellies. But more importantly, far more importantly, it's so that Israel would see the glory of Yahweh. Do you know that that is the most important thing that a human being can see? The glory of God? And then in response to worship him? The Westminster Catechism of Faith states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so we glorify God because as He provides for us in our daily needs, in our spiritual needs, in our everlasting needs, as He provides for us every joy of life, we in response worship Him. We obey Him. We follow Him. We do His will. That's what it means to glorify God. It's precisely what we are seeing happen in Exodus 16. God promises Israel that they shall see his glory, and that glory will be seen when bread comes from heaven. Then in verse 8, we read Moses and Aaron declaring to Israel, when the Lord gives You in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So if you didn't catch it earlier, the the people were grumbling against their leaders, against Moses and Aaron. But it was God who was leading Moses and Aaron. So they weren't really grumbling against Moses and Aaron. They were, leading, or they were grumbling against the God who was leading them all. And again, we see Israel mired in their unbelief, their unrepentance. I find it a little humorous that God promises bread from heaven in the morning. But when Moses and Aaron speak to the people, they, they say, oh, and there's going to be meat too in the evening. And I wonder if they just had some craving or or what prompted this addition of meat. But God honors that, and he promises meat as well. Verse 12, we see that. Graciously, God speaks, at twilight you shall eat meat. If that's what Moses and Aaron say, okay, we'll eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
that I am the Lord your God. That is such a powerful sentence. It's so easy to skip over. It, it means Israel would glorify Yahweh as God. Obviously. And it might sound repetitive, but what it means is when you glorify Yahweh as God, when God is God in your heart, it means that you entirely acknowledge completely, fully, that you are dependent on Him. That you have nothing to offer Him, and He has everything. He is the provider. You are the needer. And he holds your life in his hands. So your life is his. And you give your life to him wholeheartedly. Every, bit of, every part of you, every bit that you are, and you follow his ways because his will and his ways are perfect and are good and are worth following. That's what it means to know that Yahweh is God, to glorify Yahweh as God. And that's why this bread is coming from heaven. It's so that the people will see God's incredible provision and glorify him as their God. And then, then that provision falls. Verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. I love that, that these provisions are both natural and supernatural. It's natural because... I don't know if you realize this, but God is using the natural, regular migration of quail to feed the people of Israel. From March through April, every year, even today, and this perfectly fits our timing, our timeline in Exodus 16, quail fly north from Africa up into Asia and Europe, and you can see that there's this major migratory crossroads. Guess what it's right over? the Sinai Peninsula, the wilderness of sin. Now, lots of birds use it, as you can see in this diagram, but quail, quail are among them. God uses the natural timing of quail migration to provide meat for his starving people. And God also provided supernaturally through something that no Israelite had ever seen before, something so strange. In fact, in verse 15, when they see it, they say, what is it? The word manna, it means, what is it? When you say manna, you're saying in Hebrew, almost, you're saying, what is it? What it was, was the promised bread from heaven. Manna is so strange that this narrative it takes incredible care to explain what manna was, what it looked like, so that later generations could remember it, so that we would know something about what it was. A fine, flaky thing like frost, more precisely like, like hoarfrost. Now, hoarfrost is a particular type of frost. You see it here. It's like little spears growing on the edges of things. 
And perhaps if you have the King James Version or some other version, it actually says hoarfrost. We also read in verse 31 that it is white and sweet. Look at verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Who would have thought that this would be the bread Israel would be eating? Bread from heaven, manna, the the supernatural provision of God that the people did not expect and yet nourished them and sustained them. And as we see here, it sustained them for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. They even took some of it and they put it into the Ark of the Covenant so that every generation of Israel would remember this bread from heaven. See in Exodus 16, sometimes things can seem repetitive, redundant, especially in the Old Testament, and there is this repeated emphasis on the Sabbath. Right? They, on days one through five, God is going to give them the normal amount of manna. They come to day six, and there'll be double portion of manna on the ground, like twice the amount of this stuff covering the ground. They're to gather it up, because on the seventh day, there would be no manna. They were expected to not go out and, and gather it, but to stay home and rest. The Sabbath day was a day of rest. I believe there's something, God's doing something so gracious here. Sabbath is emphasized strongly because chapter 16 that we're looking at in Exodus comes before chapter 20. And in chapter 20 of Exodus, God gives the Ten Commandments. And do you remember what the fourth commandment is? I'll read it for you. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So when God gives manna, this bread from heaven, when he gives it to the people of Israel, they had not yet received the law of Sabbath. There's no real evidence that there was a pattern of Sabbath before the giving of manna. But in his grace and through his gift of provision, God is also giving not just food, He's giving rest. Do you see that these two things come together as a gift? Bread from heaven and Sabbath and rest simultaneously. And I think it's so significant to know that rest is a gift before it is a law. You see that theme in Exodus 16. God gives his gifts of grace before he expects obedience. God lavishes his gifts before worship is expected. He rescued Israel from Egypt, as I've said. He gave them gifts of provision. He gave them, gave them rest, all these graces, while Israel struggled to believe, wanted to go back to Egypt. He still is giving these gifts, was planning to, regardless of their faithlessness. 
Only after Israel truly tastes the goodness of God, the grace of God, only after does he expect them to worship him. So let me put it another way. God gave bread from heaven before he commanded his people to believe in him. You know, there's something transformative that's reverberating off the pages of Exodus 16. And it, I think it rushes electric into this room, particularly because this is the eve of Christmas. You see, Israel, they, have, they may have been wandering around in this desolate wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula, but we all wander in our own wilderness of sin. And our souls are starving for something that would bring us a little bit of joy, happiness, some peace, some hope. Our souls are starving. And when we can't find what we need, how eager we are to throw ourselves at the feet of our former slave masters. If only their their fleeting pleasures could sate, even temporarily, our starving souls. And then we taste these pleasures again, and instantly we remember the terrible chains the lusts and the addictions and the fears and the anxieties and the sorrows and whatever pleasures we for a moment were able to enjoy, they're quickly taken and we're forced to work again. If we could just get another morsel. And there is no rest. There is no stopping. There's only the life of a slave bound by sin and driven by the devil And he drives every one of his slaves right into the everlasting dark. Where we are destroyed by our own appetites gone wrong. And so God, when we weren't expecting it, in a way we weren't expecting, God has given a gift that so perfectly satisfies the hunger of our souls. A gift that causes our souls to rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Long after manna appeared in the wilderness of sin, God sent our starving souls bread from heaven. I'm sure you're familiar with Jesus' words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God has sent our starving souls bread from heaven. God the Father sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that the world would not perish, so that we would not perish. By faith in Jesus, God forgives all who have eaten these forbidden fruits, and he purges their poisons from our souls. Uh, Turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 6. Because just a little bit after we read about God sending his one and only son, Jesus says something that's meant to strike every hungry heart. And it happens the day after Jesus had taken five loaves of bread and two fish, and he multiplied them to feed 5,000 people. In John chapter 6, I probably should turn there too. In John chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, we read these words. 
So they said to him, the crowds, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Remember, right after he fed 5,000 people. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The manna that fell in the wilderness of sin was foreshadowing the bread of heaven that came down one starry night in Bethlehem. Jesus, God's own son, he is the preeminent gift from heaven and he is the only satisfaction for our souls, the only thing that sustains our life. As Christ said in verse 34, if you come to him, you will not hunger. If you thirst, he is that satisfaction. And Jesus is not speaking literally here. It's not about your belly. He's speaking metaphorically. He's talking about hunger and thirst of the soul, the longings of your heart, your deepest desires. In a very similar way, he says in John 10, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so there you were, you chained by your sins, bound to be killed, and yours was a hopeless estate. You could do nothing to save yourself. But Christ stepped down from glory, and he became a man. And Jesus breaks the chains, and he defeats Satan, and he, and he comes that you may have life and have it abundantly. And abundant life means joyful life, overflowing with peace and joy and righteousness and hope. Abundant life, and it's yours if you come to him, if you come to him for satisfaction. You come to him and believe it. Again, from John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So it doesn't matter where you have come from and the baggage that you carry or the lack that you have. It doesn't matter. Jesus will not cast you out. He promises it right here in, in John 16. Your slave masters, they will cast you out, and they will put you to the whip. But Christ... He will not. 
And there is nothing in all creation that can separate you from his love, not even death. Jesus says also, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Bread, the kind that you bake in an oven, if everything goes well with that process, it's delicious. Doesn't it provide a certain amount of of joy, of satisfaction, of pleasure when you eat it? Fills your stomach, satisfies your hunger, sustains your life. And without food, you will die. Bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, he fills the heart with joy. Is there anything greater than knowing that your every wrong, your every offense has been forgiven, has been removed as far as the east is from the west and God chooses to no longer see it. He counts you as righteous because you have been washed in the blood of Christ. There is no greater reality than to know that the almighty creator of the universe is your father and he loves you unrestrainedly. He loves you. That fills the heart with joy. So feast your heart upon these joys and you shall live forever. Again, nothing in all creation shall separate you from his love, not even death. Christ is the bread that sustains life, everlasting life. Jesus, the bread from heaven. No greater treasure on this planet. No greater gift that has ever been given unto men. Remember again Exodus 16, God's gift of manna. Remember how God used the manna to teach the people about Sabbath? That the bread came and with it came rest? So it is with Christ. Jesus said, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Slaves toil and work and work, and there is no end to it, and they cannot please their masters. But for you who toil and are heavy laden, Come to Jesus and find Sabbath. Find rest for your souls. You might work, but your work is now turned to joy. You might have to work to live, but Christ sets free the heart despite the labors of the earth. He gives you something that transcends the toils of today. And even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will make you lie down by green pastures and still waters as he feeds your soul. So you might be afraid that you don't measure up and that you're not good enough and you've got all of this garbage in your life. You wonder if anyone could love you. But Jesus loved you and he gave himself for you and he will never cast you out. And he promised these things and they are as sure as the rising of the sun. So believe it and feast your soul upon these truths. Be satisfied and rest. Does death terrify you? The idea of, of 
all of this stuff and everything you love, all of it being suddenly stripped away from you, whatever it is, does it terrify this unknown inky darkness, non-existence, whatever it is, does it terrify you? So trust in Jesus' words of everlasting life that he promises if you believe him, he will raise you up on the last day and let this truth fill your soul and bring peace to your life. And this terror, this existential terror that death brings to us is slain right there at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So whatever it is, whatever it is, come to Jesus with your hungry soul and be satisfied. He promises, his, his promises are, are food for your soul and they are everlasting life. There's no greater treasure on this planet and there is no greater gift that has ever been given unto men apart from Christ, the bread that sustains everlasting life. Jesus, the bread from heaven. And when we come to him, when our, when our souls feast upon his grace and glory, then we let it be our whole heart's desire to worship the almighty Yahweh who was once giving manna in the wilderness of sin, this same God who has sent his son, who is our heavenly father and who loves you so profoundly. What a gift. What a gift that he has given in his son, the life of Christ being given to us. So with our lives, let us turn and worship him with every part of us. Repent and believe. Come today and worship. And this evening and most likely tomorrow, you will give gifts, you will receive gifts, you'll feast together. But let's not forget this gift, this gift that's far greater, the bread that came down from heaven to sustain our souls. Father, we thank you for this great gift. We worship you for giving to us your son. And that as far as the curse is found in our souls and throughout creation, Christ is, has come to eradicate it and to give us life, abundant life. Oh, what a gift. Father, give us each eyes to see how truly valuable, remarkable is this gift. We love you, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.